week five in a series we've entitled Thread Letters because every phrase in the Lord's Prayer is like a thread that connects to biblical doctrine, all in that one prayer. You understand Genesis to Revelation, those 66 books written by 40 plus authors over the course of 1500 years in three different languages on three different continents, and that's a lot to chew. And so Jesus says, look, it's not about understanding all of that right now. You, you need to know the word of God, but every day you come down and compress it all the way down and understand when you pray this prayer, it will change you if you understand the power behind it and you access the power behind it. So in this Lord's prayer, we've been saying that prayer is the key to everything you should do and be. He says, those that hear the word and don't do anything with it, I like a contractor who builds a house on sand. And when the rains come down and the floods come up, that house, the old VBS song says, the rains came down and the floods came up, the rains came down and the floods came up, the rains came down and the floods came up, and the house on the sand went. None of you went to VBS, apparently. <laughs> the house on the sand went splat. That's what happens. Now, the wise man built his house upon the rock, and the, here's what we know. The rains came down and floods came up on them too. Just because you're a Christian don't mean rains don't come down and floods won't come up. Rains gonna come down and floods gonna come up no matter where you are with Jesus. The truth is when you hear the word and then you put it into action through prayer, you can be solid no matter what kind of storms and hurricanes you have to live in, through, or around. Prayer's the key to everything you should do and be. And so we're in week five, so we've taken each piece, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We've taken each chunk of that and, and attached it to scripture where Jesus is teaching us something. Let me say this to you. I encourage you to go back and listen to those to understand the trajectory and the power of this prayer. But if you can only listen to one, I would invite you. I really feel like last week was one of the more important, if not the most important sermon I've preached in years, in years. And I think you, you need to go back and you need to listen to the sermon from last week, understanding not my will, but thy will be done. It, it truly will uh, change the trajectory of your prayer time. So check that out. Today, we're at give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, this is a great style of prayer. We've had adoration prayer, confession prayer, uh, submission prayer all throughout the Lord's Prayer, adoration of who he is, submission to his kingdom, uh, knowing that, that his kingdom is, is, is bigger than my kingdom. And give us this day is what scholars call, so biblical scholars, there's a specific type of prayer, the gimme prayer. In fact, most of you are in the business of prayer because of this kind of prayer. Like most of us pray because of the, this, this prayer, and the, and the scholars call it gimme prayer, okay? Now, scholars really don't call it gimme prayer. They call it petition, petition prayer. But it's like, my name's Jimmy, gimme, 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 okay? That's the kind of prayer the gimme prayer is, and it's right in the Lord's Prayer. So if you wanna pray a gimme God, gimme prayer, I want you to know you're in good news. It's good news. It's in the Lord's Prayer, so you can pray gimme prayers, and the truth is, Scripture is chock full. In fact, the Bible is full of astonishing promises about prayer. Astonishing promises about prayer. Let me give you just a few. In Psalm 84, the psalmist says, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. And here's the prayer part. No good thing does he withhold from those 
whose walk is blameless. There are things that he has, and when we ask, we seek, we knock, he gives. No good thing does he withhold. John 14, and I will do, this is Jesus saying, I will do whatever you ask. Whatever you ask, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Whatever, whatever. Whoa. James, the half-brother of Jesus, who came later. Jesus was the firstborn um, conceived by the Spirit, but then Mary had other children. James was the half-brother. Uh, that's not James. That's the, he doubles down and says, you may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Roll the clock back several hundred years into the Old Testament. The prophet Isaiah says it like this, the, the, the voice of God through Isaiah, I will answer them before they even call to me. What? While they are still talking about their needs, I will go ahead and answer their prayers. Whoa, this is pretty good news that the Bible has an astonishing amount of promises about give me petitionary style prayers. And this is good news because most prayers we have, most prayers that we get to begin to pray are all about a need I want God to meet or a situation I want God to change. This is again is why most people get into the prayer business because they need uh, something for God to change or a situation for, for God to, to adjust. Maybe that situation has a name, you know, your husband. He's the situation. Maybe the need is financial, relational, emotional, and addiction. God, if you're up there, I'm just asking you, the need is I didn't study for this test. I need you to, to just, just pour it over me, Lord. Just pour the geometry over me. I need, I want God to meet a situation. God, this marriage, I need you to fix him, fix her, change this. Help me to stop. Oh, I got to stop that. I got to stop this. They need that. Please, God, give me this job. Like it is most prayers, truthfully, this isn't an indictment. This is just truth. Most prayers that come out of our mouths until we truly understand the depth of relationship God wants with us are gimme prayers. And so when we get to give us this day our daily bread, that's good news for us because he allows you to ask. And the truth is what that shows us is prayer has power. That when you ask him to do something that if you did not ask, it is possible that you may not get what you could have received, but you didn't ask for it. So there's a give us, our daily, give us this day, our daily bread, but what you have to understand is where this is positioned because most of us go right into our prayer moment, right into our prayer time, even, even over food, even over food. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for everything. Done. Um, pray this, this, this food would be a nourish, nourishment to our bodies and our bodies to your service. If you, I didn't hear that until I was in East Texas. That must be an East Texas uh, or, or South thing. <laughs> nourish to our body and our body to your service. Thank you, Lord, for this fat. <laughs> like, it's just awesome. Thank you for, for the chocolate pie. Nourish to my body. <laughs> um, there's a reason why give us this day is right in the middle 
It's, Jesus didn't place the give me right up front. See, in our, in our understanding of raising kids, we teach kids to say, please, and then, or if you work at Chick-fil-A, thank you, and, yeah, okay, see, there you go, God's chicken. Somebody came in today saying, I had some coffee over at Chick-fil-A, it was terrible. I said, watch your mouth, that's God's house. That's God's coffee. But you're right, they, they need to stick to chicken, I, I know. Right there, smack dab in the middle. See, God, as parents, we teach our kids to say thank you and then please, or pardon me, please and then thank you. But God shows us, even through the Lord's Prayer, to start with thank you before we ever go to please, adoration before we ever go to request, sub- submission before we go to petition. That we, we prepare our hearts, we center ourselves. And so there's something important about the needs you have. Jesus knows you have needs. Jesus knows you have wants. Jesus knows you have hurts. Jesus knows you have issues. And it's okay to come to him about anything and everything, but that's not where we start. We, we have to approach it, knowing what we know about God, centering ourselves yet again. So before today, before we even get to the give us this day our daily bread, we have to know our posture and our approach. What steps do we take? What is Jesus showing us through this prayer uh, that, that is getting us into the right spot that we are now prepared to ask? That we are, they are situated with the right tools, knowledge, understanding, heart, and emotions uh, tooled in the right way, ratcheted up in order to understand how we even approach God. So before we get to give, this is a two-part message. Today is part one, that we approach the give. Next week, we'll get into the give and the us and the daily and the bread, what all that means the Christ follower. But today, how do we even get there? What, 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 do we have to, what do we have to do? What do we have to see? What do we have to know to get to the place where we can truly pray, give me prayers? Four things. Number one, I want you to get confident by seeing his power. Jesus shows us how to pray because every time you go before the throne room of God, he says in his word, you can come boldly. You can come boldly with confidence. You can come with confidence to our father. Listen, my kids, they don't always come boldly with confidence to their father. I'll give you a few examples. Standing on the edge of the deep end of a swimming pool and there I am. It's okay. Come on, jump. You're going to be fine. Jump. No, no. I'm going to drown. I'm not going to let you drown. I'm going to beat you unless you get in here. <laughs> Why would that make me want to jump, okay? <laughs> you know, uh, come on. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Finally, you can get them to, to jump in and you're holding them and they are hanging on for dear life wherever, you know? Just hanging on to your hair. You're like, okay, 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 I got you, but you're going to drown me. Look, I'm a, I'm a good dad. I'm not, a, I'm not a perfect dad. I'm a good dad. And, and I'm not going to put, they can be confident. A child who's got a loose tooth. Come on, parents. It's loose. You're like, hey, I can get that. Like, oh, no. No, it's not. Or you'll say, you'll say, mm, it's not ready. It's not quite ready. Keep moving it. Keep moving. Back and forth. Up, down, twist it around like that. Just go ahead. 
right? And eventually then you, you know, you're like, okay, listen, let me, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to pull it. I'm not going to pull it. And you pull it. And you're like, look, and they'll go, and it's like that moment of mind blown. Like you pulled it, you know? You're like, yeah, cool. But that fear, why? Because we're not perfect parents. We're not perfect fathers. And there's enough of my imperfection for my kids to not trust me with everything all the time. It's tough. And then we lay that upon God too. We do. Now look, some of you, truth is, and, and, and listen, as a dad, I'm not a, I wouldn't say I'm a terrible dad. So let's, let's put the scale again. We did this last week. If this is the lowest of the low, a terrible dad. Maybe even an, it doesn't even have to be an absent dad because sometimes you may have a dad in the home, but they're absent emotionally or physically, um, relationally. And you had, a, you had a terrible dad. Maybe you didn't have a dad or they were terrible. They didn't care. It was all about them, wasn't about you. And, and you have issues because of that. If fatherlessness and father issues were, were, were labeled as a pandemic in our culture, trust me, it should be because it has had much farther damning, damaging effects on our nation than COVID ever will. Fatherlessness is a major issue. Bad fathers are an issue. We need, we need to show the heart of the father as a church in a community. That's why last week we gave a couple hundred hoodies to kids in foster care. They need to see the love of a father, father God, when they feel like they don't have or they don't have a dad. But maybe you weren't the, the terrible dad. Maybe there was a good dad in your life. But I want you to know that we tend to see our, our father in heaven as a good dad, really a good, we even sing songs, you're a good, good father. He's not just a good, good father. He's a perfect father. He's a perfect, it doesn't sound better. You're a perfect, perfect father. It doesn't sound as sexy, you know, but, but, it, but, but it's better. I don't know if you'd attach sexy with worship, but whatever, you know, just let's move on, okay? All right, I'm not following a teleprompter here, okay? And we'll say some things. So if this is a good dad, you gotta reach beyond the galaxies. You gotta reach beyond the Milky Way. You gotta reach up into heaven to see how good God is, how perfect he is as a father. He's a perfect father. And he knows how to give good gifts. Matthew seven, we read it earlier. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, I know how to give good gifts. Not all, they're not always great, but they're good. I know. I'm not, I'm not doing a switcheroo with them. I, want, I, want, I listen to them. I'm excited sometimes on Christmas, you know, because I know we've told them and told them and told them they're not gonna get this, but we really have it. And then it's towards the end and beyond. You know how it is. They're kind of disappointed. You can kind of tell. But, you know. And then you surprise them. You say, oh, there was one more thing. It's like right over here. And then you pull it out. They're like, ah! And they flip out. I love that. I, I, like, that is so cool to be able to experience that. If that's me and I'm not even a perfect father, scripture says, how much more? I want you to see God with presence behind his back, with surprises for you, and to be confident that he's not withhold, he's not crossed arms in heaven waiting for you to get it right, waiting for an opportunity to slap you in the face with a belt. He's a good dad, perfect dad 
who knows exactly how much more will he give you the right things, the good gifts. He's a perfect father. And there is no parent on earth who wants joy for their children like God wants joy for you. If you, do you know how we tend to wanna like live vicariously through our kids? Where maybe you didn't have that, so you would like for your kids to have that. And then you love it, but then you also hold it against them too. Like you love that you give them more than you had, but then you're like, well, when I was, I didn't get all this. You better be thankful for what you get, you know? When I was a kid, I had to walk uphill both ways. You know, you know, that you get into all that. Only breakfast I had was two pancakes and I had to walk them to school on top of my ears because it's so cold just to keep my ears warm because we didn't have earmuffs. I didn't live in East Texas. There's no parent on earth who wants joy like God wants joy for you. But that's not always our case when we pray and we don't receive what we've been praying for. When we have a need that we want him to meet We have a situation we want him to change and then things don't happen the way we prayed for them to happen. So if he's all about joy and presence behind his back and he's like, hey, then why isn't this working? Why is my child still sick and why did the cancer come back? With tears in her eyes, I got to pray with Shauna who has a family friend who's giving another family friend's son a ride on the motorcycle the other day. Lost control, he's in critical condition, the motorcyclist and his friend's child died. And his prayer right now is kill me, God. I don't deserve to live. What's going on here? How does God come in in the middle of crazy circumstances? How does God come in when We don't feel like we have joy because the things that that give us joy are hurting or wounded or in question. The difference between a good father and the perfect father are omniscience and omnipotence. That God is all-knowing, that's omniscience, all-knowing. Sees before, today, he sees yesterday, today, and forever. He's all-knowing every single rhythm of life he knows. He's omnipotence, meaning he's all powerful. And it can be difficult in our finite minds. And this is what we've struggled with since the garden. Listen to me. It's what we've struggled with since the garden of Eden. The enemy tempts Eve and Adam with the opportunity to be as smart as God, to have the wisdom of God, the knowledge of good and evil. They eat, they say, I wanna be in charge. I wanna be as smart as God, as wise as God, as knowledgeable as God and understand good and evil like God understands good and evil. And we learn that doesn't happen. And now we have to live in this broken world where we don't know always the answers. We don't always get clarity on what God wants to do next. But his omniscience and omnipotence, if you can learn, the deal is God would answer your prayer if you knew what he knew, if you could see what he sees, God would answer every single prayer you'd pray because you would be praying it from the perspective of what he sees and knows versus your limited perspective of what you see and know. We don't like that because we like to be in charge. 
We don't like that because we want to eat the fruit where we see what God sees. But we have to remember, he's the father. We're the child. How many times have you had to have a conversation with the child? They don't see it. They don't get it. Why? Why? We've just been going and going and going and you just need to stay home and rest. I'm not tired. I'm not tired. I'm not tired. And that's your 18 year old, right? I want you to know you can boldly go with confidence to the throne room of not just a God that sits on the throne and has the galaxy in his hand, but a father who's perfect. So remember it. Remember, he's your father. You're the kid. And you can trust him unequivocally. Number two, you got to get perspective by seeing his glory. So the omnipotence and the omniscience, you have to understand that perspective. Let's go back to one of those scriptures we've already read. And we need to get a better perspective of a scripture we've already read together. Here it is, John 14. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. But we tend to put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Should be more, and I'll do whatever you ask, in my name, because many times we pray in our name. It's why when we finish a prayer, we say, in Jesus' name, because we're trying to get his perspective, his heart, his thing. In Jesus' name, we pray. It's not just because that's what a good boy says or that's what a good girl says when you pray. In Jesus' name. It's because we're reminding ourselves at the very end, it's all about you. It's all about what you want. It's all about what you see. It's all about what you know. And so ask whatever you want in my name. So God, I'm asking these things, not my will, but yours be done so that you may be glorified in the sun. I've shared this story before, but Jesus is walking along a dusty street and there's a blind man on the side of the road and he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's been blind since birth. He doesn't know the color of dirt. He wouldn't know if he could, he could taste an apple, but he's never seen an apple. He never got to experience all the other things that the kids at recess got to experience. And he ekes out an existence to the point where the only way he can make a living is by begging in the streets of Jerusalem. And Jesus sees him right where he is. And this blind man says, Will you have mercy. And his disciples, they don't get what's going on in that moment. The disciples say, what made him blind? They're automatically assuming there's something he did. God was mad. What made him blind? Was it his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus says, you don't get it. He's blind just so that the Lord would be given glory. Now in that moment, he's healed. But regardless of the outcome of healing, every issue that you and I have contains seeds of opportunity to give honor to God. Every opportunity. Cancer-free, all issues contain seeds of giving honor and glory to God. The cancer is back. All, all issues contain seeds that have potentially give glory and honor to God. I've seen both. Within the same year, people honor God and I've performed their funeral right on this platform because the cancer wouldn't quit. 
Over here, I've had the opportunity to praise Jesus out loud with shouts and hollering because the cancer's gone. Both contain the opportunity to bring glory to God. But the issue with us in our finiteness is we're more worried about the circumstances around us and we don't take the time that the Lord's prayer shows us to take the time. The the, the Lord's prayer is not about getting to our circumstances, it's about shifting our perspective. In fact, write it down. The greatest thing that needs healed in my life is my perspective, not my circumstances. The greatest thing that needs healing. Oh, God is a good God. Sometimes though, if he healed your issue right now, you would be healed temporarily because we're all gonna die. Do you know Lazarus was raised from the dead? But guess what? Lazarus still ain't walking around, you know, a couple thousand years later. (laughs) No, he's dead. (laughs) Like he still died. Every healing you get on this side of eternity is temporary. But what, what if God wanted to allow you to be in the unknown in order that your perspective might be healed? It's amazing how get, people get close to God in, in turmoil because it gives them an opportunity to deal with their perspective because they can't do anything. They can't make more money. They can't kiss the boo-boo away. They can't shift the circumstance by a loud enough shout. They just have to trust God. And it shifts our perspective. Scripture says, Psalm 84, no good thing does he withhold. The truth is, you and I, we don't know what's good for us all the time. We don't know what's good for us. You've been praying for that promotion. It may be the worst thing that could ever happen to your family. It could be the worst thing. You don't know what all, you don't always know what's good for you. So the perspective on the things we want and the things we pray for, that's what has to be healed first. And that's why Jesus invites us into these mile markers before we even ask for anything to change our perspective. He's God, he's my father, he's beautiful, he's hallowed, his kingdom, not my will. Give us this day. We got to get through those perspectives. Hey, have you ever been sitting in your house Minding your own business. Just scrolling through Facebook like a creeper. And all of a sudden, you hear something starting to build. You don't know, what, what is that sound? What is that sound? And it sounds like this. Boom, you don't know what's happened. You think the Kool-Aid man is busting through the back of the house. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You go to investigate, you get to the back of the house, you open a door, and it's like a scene out of Beauty and the Beast. The furniture's moving around because it's the laundry room and the washing machine's just like, pull, 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 pull. (laughs) The what? You're playing Jesus' name, devil, come out. (laughs) It's the washing machine's gone crazy. What happens? It's because it got into the spin cycle and somehow the laundry got unbalanced. The laundry got all shifted to one side. So what you have to do is you got to find it without, you know, losing a thumb or a, or a toe. You got to flip that thing up, you know. 
Now, some of you kids that are newly wed, you got the new fan-dangled washers, they kind of have those sensors. But back in the day, it just like run through your house. <laughs> it, was like a do- it was like a rabid dog on a leash. All holding it back was those hoses. It just, <clears throat> like one of those, you know. <clears throat> anyway, where was I? Here's how you fix it. You don't buy a new washer. You open it up and you recenter the laundry. You have to stop and recenter the laundry. And the truth is, we are so quickly out of balance. Our laundry, we, we gotta recenter the laundry. Because if you live life many times we center the laundry of our lives around my own wisdom. What I know and what I see and what I understand and my education and my academic performance, my wisdom, my worry, all of my prayers get centered around my worry and it throws things out of balance and it causes chaos in your life. Why? Not because you don't have a genuine heart to pray, it's that you've centered it around all that you're worried about instead of centering it around who Jesus is. The laundry of your life, you, you center it around your marriage or you center it around your reputation or you center it around, I spelled that wrong, my heath. It's supposed to be my health. <laughs> but some of you have been centering around your health around the heath bar, <laughs> you know. <laughs> God bless his food, <laughs> you know. But it is your health. Like, like, how do you, what's the center? And if Jesus isn't the center, you got to, Take a pause moment, just like we did earlier in worship, and let Jesus become the center of our lives yet again. And the truth is, Jesus puts gimme right in the middle of the prayer because it's those moments, it's we, when we come to Jesus, I want you to have that image in your mind. I know that probably not what you'd be thinking about in prayer. Some of you guys, you need to learn what a washing machine looks like. But you would open that to your heart and recenter all your laundry, our Father in heaven, you're holy, you're beautiful. I don't have it all together, and I'm telling you right now, your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And you know, I, I don't have time to preach that today. I was gonna do a whole sermon on that, I just don't have the time. When we say it out loud, we say, you may not have noticed, your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. In the original manuscripts, it's in earth as it is in heaven, not on earth. Now, that's interesting, in earth versus on earth, what's the difference? I would suggest to you that you are, you are earth. You are dirt that God himself scooped up and breathed life into. And ashes to ashes, dust to dust we come out of the earth and we have the spirit of God living inside of us, that spirit that cries out to God, Abba, Father. But we're asking these things not to happen out here on earth. We're asking this perspective to happen in earth as it is in heaven. I wanna tell you something, out here in this whole political climate, out here and all these things and that thing and the thing that you didn't have, the thing you wish you had or the thing you don't wanna have, it all starts with in earth. 
God's not going to change this culture or this nation from the White House. He actually changes it from the inside of our heart out one person at a time. That's how Jesus works. And the truth is, adoration and submission lances the boil of unbalanced perspective. When you have a boil, you can deal with it, but it brings so much pain and it, 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 it's hard to even think about lancing that thing. My 12-year-old son got a, got a staph infection and a boil from playing ball and a rub and it got all nasty and had to take him to the ER and it was not a cool moment at all. But man, like that, like that, he felt so much better because they had to lance that thing. And part of getting our perspective right, we lance that boil by adoring him and submitting to him. Get confidence, get perspective. Number three, get humble by seeing his wisdom. Get humble by seeing his wisdom. And here's kind of where the rub is, all right? Here's the issue that I think we all have, okay? And, and so when we come to church, I'm not here to give you a, a neat package, three, four, 17-point sermon. I, I, I'm, I'm here to give you handlebars for Monday. You don't need another message where you walk in, away and say, I don't even know what he's talking about, but man, I guess the music was good. Like, like you don't need that, and I don't need that. You need handlebars for tomorrow, and the scripture is applicable to everyday life in 2020, just like it was way back then. It's just finding it. So here's a real issue that I think we say, if God has all these promises, and if God has all this power, why am I not getting what I ask for? If he's all powerful, and he's almighty, and he's all promiseful, and he's good, he's a perfect father. How much more will he give good gifts? Well, why hasn't he given me that gift? Why not? Okay, let's go back to the perspective of a father and a child. Now think about this. When Janet and I found out we were pregnant, we were about three years into marriage, we found out we were, we were pregnant and uh, so excited, so excited. A few months in, we started to realize though, there's some things we're not ready for. Like, it's not just congratulations, you got pregnant. Like now you gotta figure out how to do this thing called life and how to do this thing called parenting. And so we're like, I don't have a crib. We don't have a crib. We don't have diapers. We don't have a car that's reliable. We don't have a car seat. We don't have this. We don't have that. We don't have anything, you know? And so there was a lot of preparation. And even then it's like, you go and you have the baby and then you forget things. You thought you're all prepared. You're like, oh, crud, we left that at the house. I gotta go get it, you know? You're just not prepared. One of the things that maybe, maybe you were like uber prepared and you were already ready, but like as a baby, you don't need to worry about it. But when they begin to start crawling and stuff, okay, you gotta start uh, baby-proofing your house. Anybody ever had to baby-proof a house? Like cabinets that you normally wouldn't have to even think about opening, all of a sudden you go there and you're like, oh, and then you can't figure it out. It's, not, it's adult proof too. You're like, you rip off the, you know, the cabinet. Why? Because babies are dumb. And I love your babies. Listen to me. Listen to me. I love your babies. But they're dumb. They're not wise. They're foolish. They don't know the difference between their baby bottle and that Clorox underneath that cabinet. They do not know the difference. Now, if God's a father, you're a child. 
And the truth is, prayer has a safety catch. If he's truly a good father, you know your goodness as a dad or a mom is not dependent upon whether you can say yes to your kids every single time they ask for something. You would be a terrible parent if you said yes every time they asked for something. There's a safety catch. And you know, sometimes our safety catch as a parent is because I said so. <laughs> you know, that's, just, that's the safety catch. Because I, why? Because I said so. And that's all the safety catch you need. You are the parent, okay? That's okay. Because I said so. And someday you can hand that down from one generation to the next, okay? <laughs> My daddy said it was because I said so, and I'm saying because I said so. Prayer has a safety catch. There, there are certain attitudes of the heart, longings of the heart, that when our kids come to us and say, can I go over, can they come back over to our house? This happened yesterday. This happened yesterday. Kids been blowing and going all weekend long, was up till four in the morning with a friend, over playing whatever, they're Madden 21 and having fun and doing all their deal. And then on, that was Friday night, Saturday, he's like, can, can, can we come back over and have a home run derby? Can we go to hijinks? Can we go get on the roof? I mean, it's up and down, it's just like, non, stop. And I'm saying, dude, no, no, you need, to, you need to chill. I don't need to chill out. You're tired, I'm not tired. And you know how sometimes kids do this? You know, now listen, maybe it's just mine. Maybe I'm just a terrible parent. This is just therapy for me. I don't know. But you know how sometimes your kids, they ask you for something and you say no, and then their response is, fine, I don't want anything. It's like, can I please have that dessert? Can I please have that? Can I please have that? No, no, no. We're going to wait because tomorrow we're actually going to go to the lake. And we're going to go, I don't want to go. I don't even want to go tomorrow. Forget it. They, they, they're just kids. They're kids. And prayer has a safety catch. And sometimes... God gives you a no, he gives you a slow, he gives you a woe, he gives you a go, but he's God. Sometimes there's a producing in you before there's a production of a miracle for you. Prayer is a safety catch. And I want you to know, he's a father, not a genie. He's a father, not a genie. And I know that many of us wish he would be like Aladdin with the genie and a lamp where we go to him and we, we rub the lamp with the right amount of prayer and out pops genie Jesus that you haven't talked to in ages, but you need a wish granted. I mean, that's how our kids wanna treat us as parents too, right? They want, 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 they need, 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 they ask, 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 right? You're like, it's backwards of Christina Aguilera. I'm not a genie in a bottle. You're not going to rub me the right way. <laughs> if that were first service, that would not get into second service. <laughs> but here we are. <laughs> He's a father, not a genie. He's not here to grant your wishes. You know how dangerous a genie is? Imagine, imagine Aladdin's like, you go over to the Middle East, you got a kid walking the dusty street towards you in Acrobat, and they're holding Jeannie's lamp. If you got a five-year-old holding Jeannie's lamp and they start rubbing it, can I give you one word of advice? Run. <laughs> Why? Because five-year-olds don't know what to really ask for. They don't. They're a kid. 
Now, once you get to 15, once you get to 15 years old, you pretty much, I mean, most 15 year olds think they got it all together, right? And once you're 15, then there's no real more fear, right? <laughs> no. So, okay, all right, all right, fine, 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 fine. I know you can't trust a five-year-old. Maybe you can't trust a 15-year-old, 25-year-old. A 25-year-old knows exactly what they need whenever they need it, right, right, right everybody? <laughs> I don't know. You know where I'm going. Like the Bible says you're dumb in some areas, you're a fool in some areas, and you need to not rely on your own understanding. So when is it, 45? 55, the Bible says pretty much you're always gonna be dumb to a degree. Like it's just, God bless you, you're dismissed. But, but like, you can't trust you with a genie God. You can trust you with a perfect father. Because the father doesn't always give you what you want. Doesn't always give you the third helping of that dessert. Doesn't always give you the, but dad, I want it. And walk through the aisle and you want that. And they say, no, we're not gonna get that right now. And your requests and your needs are not identical. A good parent sees that. That what you're asking for and what you need are two different things. The apostle Paul wrote more books of the New Testament than any other author. And he even prayed a gimme prayer. And he asked three different times to remove this thorn. It was a thorn in his flesh, a situation he was dealing with. We don't know if it was a physical thing, an emotional thing, a spiritual thing, a mental thing. We just know he had a thorn, a marital thing. Who knows what it is? There, there was a thorn in his flesh. And you know what Jesus did? He didn't remove it. He didn't remove it, but he gave what he needed, not what he was asking. Because Paul goes on to say, remove this thorn. I've asked three different times, but what I learned is this, his grace is sufficient for me. So Paul wouldn't have learned the sufficiency of his grace had he removed the thorn. So he leaves the thorn and he gives the grace that's sufficient. Okay, so if he's a father, all right. If he's a shepherd, guess what you and I are? If he's a shepherd, we are sheep. Yeah. If he's a father, I'm a child. And that's hard for us because we are all about, even by the time we start walking, we want to do it ourselves. We want mine, 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 mine. We want independence. And the number one job, the number, number one job as parents is teaching our kids how to leave. So number one job is teach our kids how to leave. And if I were to add to that something we say in our home, we want our kids to, when they leave, to be great deciders. If there's anything you could boil down parenting to, teaching them how to leave and being great deciders. That's it. That's your job. Sometimes you, 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 can't, teach, you can't teach someone to be a great decider if you're always deciding and saving them. Sometimes... They got to know what it's feeling. And you know what? You need to know what it feels like to have to drive them around everywhere because you did ground them from their car for a month because they need to become a great decider. Now I would take it one layer further. Can I take it one layer further? Teach them to leave, to be great deciders, using the word of God as the moral compass for every decision they make. That's it. That's the key. Do that. They may not follow everything you do because they are an arrow with their own attitude and own mind. But they're an arrow in your hand nonetheless. Point him in that direction. If he's a father, I'm a child. But here's the irony in that. Here's the irony in all, in all of this. The more you realize you're a child, okay? 
the more you realize your child. You know what is awesome as parents is when your kid shows this brilliance of maturity when they're in the middle of just being a kid. Okay, so think about how you would feel as a parent. If a child came to you, eight years old, and you're like, they're like, can I go? Can we, can we go do this? Can we go do this? And you say, hey, we're not gonna do anything tonight. We're just gonna rest, and we're just gonna hang out at the house, and daddy's gonna do his thing, you do your thing, but we're not gonna do anything. And if, what would happen, what would you do? Besides say, there is a God. What would you do if that child said, hey, you know what? You're the parent. I'm the kid. I get it. I get it. Thanks for everything you do. Guess what you would do? You know what I would probably do? I would say, forget it. Let's go. Let's go to hijinks. Let's go. To, let's go. Let's go. What? Do you want two blizzards too? I know you only need one. I'll get you two. It's shocking for us. When we see our kids have a moment of kindness to a stranger, have a moment of generosity, have a moment of wisdom when they aren't that wise, what does it do as a parent? It goes, and you wanna honor that and you wanna shower that and you wanna say, that's my, that's my boy. That's my, I saw how you responded. I saw that you were in the middle of all this and you saw that lonely kid over there and you went over to them. And when, when the teacher calls and it's the PTO day or the, the parent teacher conference and they say, you know, uh, your, your son is, is kind to people. And you're like, oh man, let's go. Let you, I'm gonna give you a, whatever. What do you want? What do you want? Let's go. There's just something about that. If he's a father, I'm a child. The irony is the more you realize you're a child, See, that's a child realizing, and they show maturity in the middle of being eight, in the middle of being 12. And the more that God, because he knows you're his children, the more you can say, you're God, I'm, I'm not, I'm a child, you're the dad. The less childish you are, the more mature your prayers. Because many of us, that gimme prayer is pretty childish because you don't see yourself as a child. You don't see yourself as someone who needs to completely rely and you've been standing at the edge and you are afraid and God's saying, just jump. Come on, just jump. Get close, let me, let me get, I'll, I'll take care of you. When my daughter was in fifth grade, she got her ears pierced and, and, and they, they got infected and I was trying to help her. And I was like, don't touch me, you'll hurt me. He's like, who are you talking to, girl? Who are you talking to, baby girl? I'm not gonna hurt you. These hands are not here to hurt you. They're here to help you. And the more you see yourself as a child in the hands of a good, perfect father, get confidence, get wisdom, get perspective, get humble. The lower you go, <laughs> it's amazing the bigger he seems. Number four, you got to get reconciled by seeing he's God. Reconciled. What does reconciled mean? When you have to sit down and reconcile the checkbook, you've got to bring it into balance. And I want you to know that between you and God, things are out of balance and they get out of balance based on needs and wants and hurts and circumstances. And you got to be reconciled back to the fact that he is God. Now watch this. Watch right up here as I'm finishing up. Um, the more life you spend, there are things that like you pray a prayer and it doesn't get answered the way you want. And this hurt 
and it doesn't go away and this pain or this circumstance and you can go through life if you don't understand the confidence that you have in God as a father, if you don't understand his perspective that needs to be your perspective and your laundry's all out of whack and your laundry's all centered around the wrong thing, do you know what this creates? Here's what it creates in a marriage. Your expectations and then reality and it creates what we call irreconcilable differences. And it can happen with you and God. And maybe right now, you and God, you have some irreconcilable differences because you asked and you didn't get. You wanted and it, it didn't happen. You got a question and it's not being answered. When we pray the Lord's Prayer daily, he's not asking you to pray this once a month. He's not asking you to pray this once a week. Give us this day our daily Give us this day. It means that you and I, we can't just set it and forget it. Every day, your spiritual washing machine gets out of whack. Every day. Sometimes you might even get tired having to go to the back room, open the door, lift the lid, and resort the laundry. But that's what the Lord's Prayer does. Every day, every day. Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And I'm sorting the laundry of my life. And I want you to know that there's a reason why atheists aren't very atheistic in a foxhole. People that have pushed away from God tend to run to God when the going gets tough or their backs up against a wall. It's amazing how a circumstance can get us try to get back to God. It happens. Why is that? Because prayer is the natural reflex of my heart that reminds me of something. Your spirit, you're made in the image of God and you are, your spirit is calling out like a child to his father, Abba Father, the spirit, the scripture says. And your moment where you may not even, you got your own theories about a God in the heaven. But you'll say a prayer if it means that maybe my wife will get, not die of this cancer. Or, or, or maybe this will, maybe this will get, maybe something will change. Now I gotta get back into church because my wife's saying she's gonna leave me. And I want you to know, many people pull away from God during that time and that's when you ought to run straight into God. Not be afraid of it, embarrassed of it, run into him. He wants to reconcile things. But prayer is the natural reflex of my heart that reminds me of this one important element. I'm not in charge. I'm not in charge. And let me finish with this verse. Let me finish with this. If you don't hear anything else, hear this today. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about our Jesus, who you can pray to every day who's not waiting for you to get your spiritual ducks in a row, not waiting for you to get everything right, not waiting for you to realize just how bad you are and how you don't deserve his love. He loves you. There's nothing you can do to even earn more of his love. He just loves you. He's not mad. He's mad about you. Hebrews says it like this. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings, just like you do, with a loud cry and tears, just like you have. Get this, don't miss this. I'm telling you, this is, this is the hinge of this whole deal. With prayers and pleadings, with a loud cry and tears. 
to the one who could rescue him from death. This is showing us the specific prayer he was praying. This is the prayer that we talked about last week when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane and he's praying, Lord, take this from me. I don't wanna do this. Three different times he prayed it. I don't want this. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine will, thy will be done. So he prayed loud, cryful, tearful prayers to the one who could rescue him from death. And do you know what happens? God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. <laughs> what? Wait, 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 wait. Go back, go back. Jesus was here on earth. He offered prayer and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him. What was his loud cry, tearful prayer? Rescue me. And the scripture says, God answered his prayer. God, God, God heard his prayer. No, he didn't because Jesus still died. He didn't say, okay. Jesus, God still made Jesus go to the cross. In fact, God didn't even make him go to the cross. Jesus still chose to go to the cross. But here's the beauty in this. God heard. Even though Jesus was asking to be rescued, God heard his prayer out of the reverence that his own son had for him. So sometimes you and I are gonna pray. You're gonna pray. What good could ever come from this? I'm praying for you to rescue me from this, rescue me from that, give me a sign, change it. Why, why won't you, why didn't you, how could you? How could you let this out, how could you do this? How could you see, you see me, don't you see, you don't even see anything, who are you? I thought you're a good father. How, how can any good come of this? And Jesus was praying, God, how am I gonna do that? I don't even know, and God heard him. Even Jesus' own mom, I'm telling you, his own mom standing on a hill called Calvary, watching that same baby that she nursed, that same baby that she saw walk for the first time, that baby who knocked his knee and even that little baby, Mary would kiss that little boo-boo. In all of the Psalms, there are different baby nursery songs in Psalms. And one of the Psalms, scholars believe, is why Jesus said, into thy hands I commit my spirit, because there's an old, there's an old nursery Psalm that Mary may have sang over Jesus. That into your hands I commit my spirit. And she's watching her baby stripped naked and beaten. He is who he says he is and they're crucifying him. And Peter from a distance and Matthew and Mark and Luke and Bartholomew and Thomas, maybe even Lazarus who'd been raised from the dead himself and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, they're all there. And no doubt they watched Jesus die and they probably said, how could any good ever come from what they just did to our rabbi. And yet, they were watching the greatest thing that has ever happened for them and for you. They couldn't see it then. But we see it now. 
How could any good come from this hospital stay? How could any good come from this death? How could any good come from this hurt? How can anything good come from this wound? The good will come. Good gifts. As we say, okay, God, you're in heaven and I'm here. And you see what I don't see because you've got that view from heaven. Before I even ask, you're the center. Would you do that with me today? Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? Maybe there's a resorting of your priorities. Something's in the center that's been driving you in your life. The laundry of your life is out of balance. Your perspective is skewed. But you'd like me to pray over you. I just invite you just to lift your hands a little bit towards heaven. And let's pray that together. Father, you are who you say you are. You're faithful. You're good. You're just. Your mercies endure forever. Your faithfulness is great. Your love is steadfast. And you're a good father, a perfect father that we can jump to, we can rely on, we can lean against. And we lean not on our own understanding. We submit to you and you make our path straight. And we thank you for that. And we thank you that you're doing a work in our hearts even now. We invite you, Lord, resort the laundry of our life around you being the center of our hearts, the center of our lives, the center of our decisions, the center of our morality, the center of our character, our convictions, our conduct, the center, Jesus. We place everything around you. We ask it in your name. And everybody said, amen.